to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software and production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Quintessence, or Quintessence Ants on Twitter. Today, we're going to talk about dependency security. Many of us rely on open and closed source dependencies to make our applications and services function. But how do you avoid accidentally introducing security issues with these resources? And what are potential risks of vulnerability is introduced? Today, we're joined by Liran Tal, developer advocate at SNCC. He is a JS Heroes ambassador and a member of the Node.js Security Working Group. He is also the author of Essential Node.js Security and a core contributor to OWASP's Node Goat project. Laron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. We're so excited. And to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your path to learning about dependency security? Yeah, sure. So I, f- I think getting started without it's like probably hard imagining today anyone uh, building any open source projects or you know any any projects in particular. Uh, without being dependent on open source, and I think this is this is primarily a shift that you know I've I've at least kind of touched for myself having uh, from like maybe ten or fifteen years ago doing web development, where if we needed to build something for the web, we'd just you know roll our own version of jQuery and some plugins around it and so on, and it was you know doing a lot of like vanilla JavaScript to build your things. But today, you know, I think it's 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 very hard to just have that mindset of like let's build something because we have just an abundant use of open source you know projects and packages that help us you know build our products so this is like basically just a google away from an npm package that would help you build something so you know just that proper process i think people build into building uh, uh go into building react maybe project you know they, they they'll go and add react router and then redux and then you know redux funk and so on and then you know pile up uh, you know, dependency after dependency to get a common functionality just going on. So I think this is kind of like, you know, the, the path into dependency security is first of all, understanding that today, you know, we are very much dependent on other open source maintainers and developers kind of like, you know, helping us build our products. All right, awesome. Thank you for all of that. And kind of hopping right out from in there, What's the most common myth or misconception that you find yourself answering about the com- dependency security, common mistakes, that sort of thing? Probably one of the common one is that you know using a, a popular package is is something that people you know don't exactly understand the concerns of, of using it, and you know just the fact that it's it's you know very popular is you know is something that they depend on. Except that that's always sometimes you know uh, perhaps not not always, but sometimes is kind of like. There are some issues there, and we can, you know, attest to some of them. So we'll probably talk a little bit later on on some of those packages. You know, maybe Lodash, maybe EventStream, the security incident. Um, you know, even React and then some other packages that you know you might be using, but are not aware that you know some of them, to a certain degree, you know, had some security issues or some production issues related to how those dependencies were managed in a way. And so this is something that you know is uh, is a popular myth around around just using a popular package. Oh, that makes sense that people forget that they, or maybe it's better to say that they commonly think that if something's popular, that someone must be checking it somewhere, but that might not be a valid assumption to be making. Right, right. And we can we can give some examples, right? Just to like understand, you know, what, what's the concept here that we're talking about. And so, you know, Lodash, for example, is, you know, very good, you know, st- you know stable project to a sense. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a key ecosystem project in terms of the amount of dependencies that are using Lodash, um, you know, for the JavaScript, for the web ecosystem. 
but there's there's just like a single maintainer. You know, John uh, John Dalton is maintaining that project. You now he's a, a very good person, but he has a life of his own. And so you know, when when security issues happen and when people kind of like you know knock on that door on the GitHub repository issue, that's basically you know asking asking for a lot from a person who's basically uh, you know volunteering his time to build this. And so you know we, we've had you know some of those security incidents happening where you know a security vulnerability was impacting Lodash, but there was no security fix you know in time. And so you know from from the sneak perspective on that you know we had worked with with John on releasing a security fix for this, and we have provided the patches for that. But it took time until that release was was rolled out. But at that time the vulnerability was already public, so essentially there was a vulnerability report going on but no actual security fix, you know, for people to upgrade to. And so kind of like, you know, this is kind of like the classic problem with open source where, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there, there's there's limited support in a sense, kind of like rely on on, on all of those, uh, you know, peoples and strangers to kind of help you out. But, you know, it's not always a done deal. So this is like a very, you know, prime examples of just, you know, us relying on open source. Oh, wow, that makes sense. And to kind of circle back to something you mentioned before about deadlines and the active security report, can you talk a, a little bit more in depth about what kind of deadline or what deadline means in this context for when you want to get a security fix out, aside from, you know, as soon as you can? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's interesting you're you know pointing, you know, that's a kind of like specific uh, question because, you know, managing security f- both from like from a from person consuming a software, managing the security fixes for which you should upgrade to, as well as from the maintainer side, is not a very straightforward, uh, you know, kind of a, of a process. Because you know, if you are, uh, I'll give those like two perspectives. So first of all, if you are a maintainer and you know you maintain you maintain you know several maybe packages and, and uh, dependencies that other people use, and assuming you know there was an actual disclosure process, you know, a very uh, responsible one where everything was uh, was laid out to you and you know it was all uh, the entire vulnerability security issues were managed in a, in a private manner and so this is now a private issue and only you know about it and the triagers and so on and at that point uh, you know you want to release a security fix but this is the catchy part right if you actually release that uh, in a non-semver kind of friendly way that is actually not a security fix that is easy to consume and we've seen some examples of that were uh, some some maintainers were actually, for example, there was a vulnerability impacting the 2.x you know branch of uh, of a version, and the, the security fix was only released in a 3.x, and so that is a server major upgrade, and developers you know to that you know different perspective, the other side of the spectrum here, when they want to consume a, a package upgrade, they'd probably want to have you know the most minimal kind of like overhead and, and risk and concerns when they do that. And when there's, you know, there's a jump between a two and a third version, that usually means, you know, semantically that communicate, you know, maybe a breaking change, maybe API changes. And so they would be very wary of just upgrading it and they will need to add more testing and sanity to make sure that that is okay. Except, you know, if it's a security fix, you actually as a maintainer and as a user, you want to roll that out as fast as you can to reduce, you know, whatever security uh, risk lies there. So that's, for example, a problem where, you know, we, we don't really understand, you know, there, there's not enough standardization and, you know, there's not enough knowledge around the ecosystem to know how to actually just manage security releases or how to consume them properly. And before we get into our main question, when you're talking about consuming the releases properly, can you just give us a quick primer, I guess, on what that would look like, really, for someone who needs to do it effectively, but maybe isn't as familiar? 
so I think consuming probably is is, is probably pro- like a very long, uh, I think, like a bigger picture of, you know, understanding all of the dependencies that you have and understanding that when you consume a package, you are probably consuming, you know, depending on the ecosystem for their packages. So it's not really about, you know, making consumption, you know, smarter or, or in a different way, you know, you'd actually end up taking in whatever, uh, whatever, you know, version you need, if you need a specific version. But I think it's more about understanding and awareness of what you're pulling into your project. So if you are, for example, going to install, you know, a Java package, um, you know, we'll take the Spring package for, you know, a web server or application framework, you'd be pulling in, you know, something like, you know, a few, maybe a dozen uh, kind of dependencies. But if you were, you know, going to pull in an Express app, you'd be pulling in something like 48 dependencies, you know, all in all. And so that's a lot. You need to, under- need to understand kind of like, I don't want to call it the attack surface, but you need to understand kind of like the, the software surface of all that you're pulling into your project. And then this is all of your kind of like dependency mapped out, right? There's like, this is 48 packages, that you're pulling in maybe with an express install. And so maybe there are 48 different people that maintain them that you are now dependent upon. And like, do you know exactly what kind of security practices uh, they have undergone, you know, both to kind of like preserve the package in a good and healthy state around security, as well as, you know, to their own account, you know, that they did not be a victim of like an account takeover and so on. So there's like a lot of, you know, more risk and like added surface to this problem, but it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's even more than that, you know, now that you have all of those packages and, you know, the express, by the way, example is actually, it's a very good one towards the express project because most of those dependencies are actually managed by the express team. And that's a good thing. But then what you actually end up having is, you know, now you end up having, you know, dependency on, on, you know, some of those packages or maybe others, but then how, how do you know when to upgrade to which versions you should upgrade. And, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of like, I would say concerns in terms of understanding how to manage dependencies in general that, you know, we, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing like things like, you know, like bots in the ecosystem that help you do that. So I think kind of like nailing how to do that in a proper way in terms of, you know, that this, you know, that you do not end up the whole day just merging pull requests to upgrade your dependencies, but rather, this is you know we're low. You're lowering the noise, uh, the signal to noise ratio. That's kind of like what we want to get into, giving you the smart updates in that sense. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I know you mentioned about pulling in a bunch of upgrades and mapping out the dependencies. Are there any other challenges you wanted to highlight for managing the dependencies? Uh, so I think servers are, are a good one. I think understanding you know that you probably want to pull in the most minimal server kind of like versions but i think also there's there's a lot there into into dependency management if you want to go in yeah. into that kind of area fair enough so how about instead of that or in addition to that can you tell us a little more about what you think about attacker personas specifically from the mindset of people who are trying to learn about who they're protecting against and it's not always a malicious attacker correct True. Yeah, it's it's not always, but let's think about some of the some of the problems that do come from you know from that kind of like perspective. Just to understand, I think what are the challenges in in managing dependencies for a project. So if we're talking about you know how do how do you manage those? You no know, log files are a very common way to kind of like pin the dependencies for specific versions. So you have reproducible builds, and you can share the builds across you know your teammates and so on. And you know that's that's not really a, a new concept. But there's an interesting attack vector in that sense, uh, which have kind of like gone into in our blog, uh, you know, a few months back. And it, it seems, you know, pretty interesting in terms of how this, uh, how the community engaged with that. And so a lot of people, you know, you'd have, you know, just like 
uh, you know, spaces and tabs and, I don't know, semicolons and non-semicolons in JavaScript, it have these two camps uh, where people would believe that log files are actually helpful for a project and those who would, would want to dismiss log files and just install without a log file, which basically means you are getting the same experience that a user is getting. And so that's how they kind of like, you know, promote why log files, you know, shouldn't be there. But assuming you are using it, and there are some cases where, you know, the two camps kind of agree where that's usually an application and not just a specific library that you manage. So for most, you know, users, when they manage an application, they use a log file to reproduce the builds. But there's an interesting use case. So log files are a way for us, like we said before, to like pin the dependencies and, and they're like a machine generated a sort of uh, a sort of file, um, you know, a YAML format, a JSON format, whatever you want, kind of helps us uh, or helps the, the NPM, the Yarn client, you know, the, the package manager understand, you know, where to pull data in. Except, you know, it's a machine generated thing. And so when you kind of like create a pull request that says, I want to upgrade, you know, a specific uh, version of a package, or maybe you added a new package, or maybe you removed it, you're probably going to push in another file to that pull request, which is both the package manifest, but then the log file that says, you know, this is the actual now state of the package dependencies. Now, what happens is, you know, try to imagine that pull request, you know, in your in your in your mind, you know, you see two files, except when the files are actually pretty big, and that's what happens with log files because there are so many changes and it's like really machine oriented, uh, machine kind of like generated. What happens is GitHub uh, by default, for example will go ahead and, and kind of like collapse all of the data. So you actually you just see the log file there as a name, but you don't really see the data. And if you would go in and actually expand it, you'll see you now everything. So this exper- experiment that I, that I did was actually to put in a, a pull request for a project. And what I did is, you know, no one actually inspects the, the machine generated log file. And so I changed it from one dependency of MS, a, a dependency that is you know, downloaded probably know, millions of time a week of the NPM repository. And then I my, I just updated so that the source of that MS package is actually uh, downloaded from my own GitHub fork of that project. And so at that point, I control the entire MS library. And if you're just pulling, you know, just merging the pull request, you're not, you know, taking a look at what is going on in the log file. You don't have any security policies in place specifically about the log file. What will happen when you do the next npm install, or you know your teammate or someone else? What will happen is you'll pull in that you know malicious, uh, you know seemingly malicious package of MS, which I am now in control of, and you may not even understand this until you actually go ahead and inspect you know the sources you know for all of those dependency tables and so on. So you know that's that's a pretty legitimate you know vector of attack if someone wanted to push in something into your machine without you knowing it and without they needing to have like any control over your machine or even over the actual package, just by kind of like hiding it in a log file. That's both impressive and distressing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure at least some of our listeners would agree. And that actually brings me to another point. So people wouldn't necessarily know or think to check that the source of the package hasn't been altered in a particular way. Are there any other tips that people can use to get started, again, common mistakes or things that people don't think to check for that they really need to be checking for? Yeah, so I mean, I, th- I think that's definitely, you know, understanding there are tools to lint kind of log files and, and you know those kind of issues, but there are then probably, you know, more things that you should probably be aware of in terms of how you consume the packages. And I want to actually take you further down that rabbit hole of understanding, you know, what what are those security concerns and, you know, even production concerns when you're using a dependency. So, you know, before we even like roll into those tips, it's like, let's assume that you're you're dependent on a package and 
there's this uh, security, it's it's an academic research paper, but I'm going to take the kind of like maybe the security uh, perspective of it that was released, you know, a year back. And it was kind of like the going and comparing PyPI from the Python ecosystem and then comparing NPM one against the other and how many packages could be considered abandoned in both of them. And when you install, for example, one, you know, a package for one of those uh, kind of ecosystems, then how many packages are you also pulling in? And so let's take that example of, uh, you know, that security paper, uh, that academic paper actually, you know, showing us that when you install a package on NPM, you you get by default, uh, you know, well, by average, this, uh, you know, 4.17, uh, so, so about four levels dips of dependencies on an average install of an NPM package. But the thing is, think about what happens there uh, towards production. So there's this, you know, package A, which depends on package B, and then on C, and then on D. And, you know, most cases, in, in, in most situations, is they will not come from the same person. It's just, you know, people kind of like gluing stuff over each other's code. And, you know, that's okay. That's the, the world of open source. Except, you know, what happens when that package D breaks, right? When this is not a direct dependency for anyone. So it's like a bit under the radar. But when it breaks, it, it hurts because then, you know, the entire build process kind of break. And the thing is, you know, it can break for a lot of reasons. And this is like where I want to take it towards, you know, the, the tips and the awareness around like these are dependencies that are much, much more around, you know, how do, you, how do they affect our production dependencies, right? Our, our like production uh, readiness. And so let's think about it. First of all, there could be a breaking change in the API. So even without, uh, you know, the dependency, you know, being broken, maybe, you know, there's no server. But now there is a, a, there's there's an actual change that is not reflected in the server, and so you're pulling this in. Another issue that could happen is, you know, the package has just been compromised, which is not something that you know <laughs> anyone would want happening. Um, right. You know, right? Right. And yeah, the other thing is, you know, npm, uh, you know, as as kind of like a mirror at the end of the day, may be unavailable, right? So there are networking disruptions, or you know, just the npm, you know, specifically going down or something like that. And so all of those things could happen that would break a package that is you now somewhere down the tree that you may or may not realize it. And all of those, you know, probably you know at one time or another happened. Uh, but let me ask, you know, let, let's let's go to like you know our real stories from from what has been happening. And that is, you know, what are the chances that the maintainer will pull down a package, right? Will pull it out, just yank it off of, you know, the registry and anything dependent on it will, will not exist or anymore. Mm. It, it's probably not really, you know, high chances for that to happen, right? No, but it, it sounds like one of those things that is rare, but severe. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. So this exactly happened, right? That, that's kind of like where we were leading with this. So, you know, it's open source, you know, everyone to an extent can do as they please, you know, and you know, what's the worst that could happen? So close off that story. So indeed, you know, a package, you know, a few years back was actually pulled off. So this is like somewhere around, you know, 2016 or so where there was a package called LeftPad by, that was maintained for, by, a, by a, a person who was maintaining something like 300 other NPM modules. So, you know, fairly, you know, averse in the whole, you know, ecosystem. But there was some, some legal issues with some of his packages. And so, you know, cut, you know, kind of like the story short, that person kind of like refused to, to provide ownership for some package. And so as an act of protest, uh, that person removed all of his modules out of NPM. So all of those 300, including that specific package called LeftPad, except oh. that, you know, LeftPad package, which was, uh, you know, later kind of frowned upon that this is, you know, st you know string LeftPadding of a 17 or 18 lines of code 
basically broke, you know, large parts in terms of like build systems for projects like Webpack and Bubble and JSCS and, you know, a lot of big companies, right? Low enterprises mm-hmm. in the form of like, uh, you know, the, the Fang and all of those that were dependent on this in their builds kind of broke. And this is just because that that kind of like shook the, the NPM ecosystem a bit. And the thing is, the resolution of that was also showing how immature we are in terms of that point in time, at least we were, and, you know, not expecting that this will happen, you know, very naive in our usage of open source and dependence on us. And so what happened is, you know, Leftpad as a package is now unpublished from the ecosystems. And there are millions of dependencies and projects, you know, that are using it, you know, in their builds and their CIs and their, in their dev, you know, machines, people are just, you know, installing it. So someone else pushed in a new package, a new, ver- a new like a new version of Leftpad, you know, 1.0.0, kind of like to fix everything. But there was actually no no process there, to, you know, to actually validate that that person is okay because that you know that module at that point was uh, that module namespace was free. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what would have happened if that person would have pushed that package, but that person would have been a malicious user. And so now everyone would get their builds kind of like, you know, unbroken very much well, but, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, there's yeah. now a malicious package in the build, right? So not exactly, you know, what you'd want happening. So there was, you know, a whole lot of learning experiences from, from this happening. And so this is, this is definitely, you know, something that emphasizes, you know, how ready we should be in our production uh, and like readiness towards, you know, the consumption of open source dependencies. That was amazing. Thank you so much for all of that, Laran. And there are two questions that we like to ask every guest. But before we do, I just want to remind everyone, if you want to have some more amazing learnings, please head over to SNCC's blog. You'll find posts from all of their knowledgeable people about topics related to dependency security and everything we've talked about here. There's also the MyDevSecOps community, which is MyDevSecOps.io. It's a vendral neutral community for developers who care about security. So if you're getting started or you want people to ask that are more knowledgeable than you, I would definitely recommend taking a look. And then there's also Verdashio, which is an open source package as a local NPM proxy for enterprises. And we're going to have links to everything in the show notes. So make sure you check out those. And back to you, Loran, we have the two questions. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Quintessence. Yeah. What is one thing you wish you had known sooner when it comes to running software in production? I don't think I learned that too late, but uh, I definitely went into that path of not understanding how crucial, you know, testing, security, performance, accessibility, all of those, you know, cross-cutting concerns are. And so I would say, you know, all of these are your part of your ongoing journey of software development. It's either that or you'll face them later on, you know, unprepared, unfitted to kind of like, you know, maintain the project in those concerns. Awesome. And of course, the opposite. Is there anything about running software in production you're glad we did not ask you about yet? Yes, there is a security incident that I'm really happy we didn't talk about. You're going to leave us hanging on that one, aren't you? Definitely. Uh, Well, best of luck with it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And this is Quintessence wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittolimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittolimit using the number two. That's pageittolimit with the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. <laughs>